Amen. Praise the Lord. What beautiful singing. Praise the Lord. Thank you, team, for blessing us today. We're getting started on a journey through 1 Thessalonians, and we're calling it Unshaken, Having Hope in a Troubled World. You know, when the local high school goes on lockdown, it shakes your world. When the phone rings in the middle of the night and it's an emergency call, when the doctor, what he has to say is just like bad news, there's no way to, any way around it, it shakes your world. When your child is having serious troubles and just in life, it shakes your world. Now, I, I grew up in the Gulf Coast of Northwest Florida, and in our town there was a very large military base, Eglin Air Force Base, and it's a research and development base. They have all these fighter jets, and they're doing all of these tests. And we had sonic booms where I lived. Do you, want to, do you know what a sonic boom is? A sonic boom is when an airplane breaks the sound barrier. It goes faster than sound. And when it crosses over, it, I don't know the physics of it, but it just makes this loud boom that rattles every window in your house. And it just startles you like, what just happened? Well, sometimes there are these booms in our life that just rattles our world, and it, it can be scary, and it can be unsettling, and you wonder, what are you going to do? Well, 1 Thessalonians is where you need to turn. 1 Thessalonians is a great book to read when your world gets shaken, and I would encourage you, when these kinds of things happen, uh, you find strength and, and just a a strength of stability and calmness through the reading of God's word. Romans says, Romans 15 says that the scriptures were written for our encouragement that we might have hope. And we're talking about having hope in a troubled world. And the scriptures give us that strength and that hope. When you don't know what else to do, go to the pages of God's word. Go to 1 Thessalonians. And, and I, I do want to encourage you to be reading this book. It's, it's short. You can read the whole thing in about 15 minutes. So over these days, I want to encourage you to be reading 1 Thessalonians. Now, this study is a journey of faith, hope, and love. And, and it says in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 1, are you there yet? I didn't tell you to turn. You need to turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 1 again. And in verse 3, it says that Paul remembered these young, tender believers in their newfound faith. He remembered them, and uh, they were without ceasing. There was a work of faith going on in them. He calls it the work of faith. And then he says, a labor of love, and then a patience of hope, an endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this uh, endurance that their hope gave them, it was because their hope was in Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, people that don't have Christ, really, they don't have a lot of hope in this world. When everything gets dark and you don't know what's going to happen next and there's global pandemics or there's like your high school senior year, all of these things that can be scary on different levels, right? And, and, and the list is endless. If you don't have the Lord, you can find yourself in a very dark place. 
But my friend, if you have the Lord, there is always hope for a child of God. There is always something good and better out in front of you if you are a child of God. And you have God on your side, and you know he's going to work on your behalf and help you through the difficult time that you're in. And as we talk about having hope in a troubled world, sometimes uh, the world is shaken you know, by global events or regional events, like the whole, everybody is shaken. But sometimes it is your world that is shaken. You know, I, I wonder if there's someone here today and you are feeling just hopeless. You're feeling like it doesn't matter anymore, that you don't matter, or nothing in your life really matters. It, listen, we can all find ourselves in a very dark place, and it's not that hard to get there. It can happen in life. And life is not always easy. And, and if you're here today, and I want to encourage you with the reality that as a child of God, you are not alone and you are not hopeless and, and your life is full of purpose and meaning. You were created by a loving God who knows you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life and he has good things for you and you, your life is full of hope even when you can't see it right now. And I want to encourage you with that. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul was writing this letter of 1 Thessalonians to a group of Christ followers just like you and me. We might be separated by uh, many years of time, but they, just like you and I, they were trying to faithfully live for Christ in a culture that didn't know Christ and wanted nothing to do with Christ. There was all kinds of opposition to Christ and to these young believers and so their world was kind of against them, you might say. And they were trying to live a holy, God-honoring life in a culture that was completely lost and in darkness. So they needed hope, and Paul calls it the endurance of hope. A hope that makes you strong, a hope that helps you to go through and to get through whatever it is you're faith facing. Now last time we talked about this triad of virtues, faith hope, and love. But we really didn't get to touch on hope. And we're going to, uh, it's especially, it's almost like the most prominent one in First Thessalonians because it is a theme throughout this book. It's really what those believers needed the most at this time was to find hope in what they were going through. So we're going to focus on that today. Hope that endures is what we're talking about. And we're talking about not giving up in spite of the problems. Now I want you to Look at the person next to you, and I want you to smile at them and say, don't give up. Can you do that right now? Just look at them and give them a big smile and say, don't give up. Now, now tell them, tell them it's, it's going to be okay. Look at them and smile and just say, hey, it's going to be okay. Just, just tell them, look at them again and smile again. This is like three smiles in a row. Pastor Phil, this is getting awkward. Just tell them, say, God is with you. Just tell them that right now. Exactly. So we're talking about three ways that hope helps us to endure. And the first one I want you to see is, it's just the meaning of the word. What does hope mean when we talk about hope, especially in the Bible? Well, um, hope is a confident expectation about the future that gives me strength in the present. Are you tracking with me? Listen carefully. Hope is something so positive about tomorrow that it gives me 
courage today. It's in the future, but it helps me keep going on today. It, it, you know, I'll give you a simple example. Let's say you're going through a terrible time at work. You know, there's like piling it on or, or all these projects and, or maybe there's people at work. I don't know. But you're just like, you know, you have a really hard job and it's just really annoying and difficult and stressful. But you know that in two weeks, you have this perfect vacation plan. You're going to have time off. You're going to be able to de-stress. You're going to be able to go do some fun things that you've really been looking forward to. And so you have that time off. And so you're thinking about that, and it kind of gives you a little more gusto now. Just that reality of knowing that that is not too far away in front of you, it helps lighten the load right now. I mean, every high school senior in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because you've got chemistry and algebra two and maybe calculus and I don't know what all. And it's like, man, this like is so hard. This kind of like, you know, and your senior year and all of those things that go along with it of school. But you know that out in front of you is like this hope of a cap and gown and a diploma. And like, I'm done with school. That will be awesome right? So that hope gives you strength right now as you're muddling through, you know, calculus or whatever, physics or whatever it may be. It's, um, faith and hope are very closely related. They're not the same, you know, some, but it, they're closely related. Uh, hope is the full assurance. Hope is uh, faith is based on God's word. Faith is what we believe. We, we said this last week. Faith is obeying God's word. That's what faith is. And faith is what we believe about God and his word. Hope is what we believe about the future. Hope is always in the future. And uh, the Hebrew says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So Hope is what we believe so strongly about the future that it gives us strength today. And let me just add that hope is not like the word we use hope. We use hope like, boy, I hope it doesn't rain today because we have this big football game and it might get rained and then like homecoming is going to get rained on. And it's like you hope it doesn't rain, but you don't know if it will or not. It might. So that's like maybe so, maybe not. That's the way we use the word. Not, not in the Bible. Not in, the, in the Bible, the word hope is like full assurance. It is like complete uh, security and confidence, right? The early church, just not long after the Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians or however you want to say it, um, the early church, you know, there are certain symbols and icons that we, we that are, symbolize our faith, right? The, obviously the most important one is the cross. That's like an icon. That's like something that symbolizes our faith. Well, the early church had another symbol that they used. Do you know what it was? It was an anchor, like a ship's anchor. That symbol is drawn in early, early writings, and it went with the word hope. Their hope was so confident, it was so assured that it was like an anchor for their soul in the midst of the darkest Roman persecution. They could live with their lives at risk, but yet their heart was confident and at peace because there was something that anchored them in life. And it was the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he had done for them and what he would do for them in the future. 
the relationship between uh, faith and hope, you can kind of illustrate it with the joy of a child when their father tells them that they're going to Six Flags Over Great America on Saturday, right? And it's Thursday, and he says, hey, just want you to know, we planned this trip, we're going to the amusement park, and we're going on Saturday. So the child believes he will go to the amusement park based upon his father's word and his faith in that. At the same time, that belief kindles within him this inexpressible joy and excitement. He can't even sleep at night. He's so excited to go. That's hope. The child's natural trust in his father's promise is faith. The child's uh, squeals of delight and is jumping up and down. Those are expressions of hope. Now, uh, for the Thessalonians, hope gave them endurance. Something God promised about the future gave them courage to keep on believing and to keep persevering and obeying and loving and following God in the presence. That hope that endures, hope that affords strength. So let's stop here a minute because we're going to move on to our, our second thought is like exactly what was the hope that they were thinking of? Because we said, you know, that hope is this, that endures is this confident expectation about tomorrow that gives me strength today. But what was it that they were thinking of in this hope? Because hope that endures looks forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternity with him. That was their future hope. Uh, that First and foremost, it was the assurance that Jesus Christ was their Savior, that he was their Lord, and that he was coming again to take them to be with him one day. That hope, that reality, gave them strength. Eternity, heaven, Christ, ultimate triumph and victory. We, we see this in our text in, uh, at the end of chapter 1 in verse, look at the second half of verse 9 and verse 10, the last uh, verses there. Uh, second half of verse 9, it says, How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So this reality that they were waiting for Jesus to come back and to receive them and to take them to heaven before eternal judgment, before this God ultimately pulls the plug on this earth. You know, you look at the world and, you know, it's like spinning headlong at warped speed toward this dark darkness and this abyss. And you see the evil multiplying and that's why... Fifty years ago, there weren't ministries like war. Maybe there should have been. Maybe we just didn't know it that well back then. But it just seems like evil is more prevalent. It's more uh, out. It's more exposed. And, and it's taking over our culture. It's more common. It's more, you know, we are forced to, to be around. And all of those things. And you think, where is this going to end? How long can this not? It's kind of like Jesus said, we're going to have to go back and, and uh, raise Sodom and Gomorrah from the dead and apologize to all of those people. That's how bad it's getting, right? And if you don't have Christ, 
what hope do you have? The little bit of fun you can carve out in this life? People without Christ who don't know what we're talking about, they have basically no real hope. They might hope they get a job promotion or they hope they marry the right person. There's some little hopes that you can, you know, might, might or might not work out. But they don't have any real eternal hope. That's why they have fun. That they try to have fun, you know, and, and, and because there's nothing else. There's nothing else deeper, stronger, more profound. They have no hope. And, and, and when you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe him as your Savior, you believe him as your Lord, and you live your life in light of that, then you also believe that one day he is coming again and that this life is just a short microcosm of eternity. And whatever we face in this life, uh, it's only for a short while. We're going to get through it, and there's something infinitely greater and better after this. And, and so even the time we're here, we don't want to just waste it on pure fun. I mean, there's nothing wrong with fun, but that's not really the purpose of this short little microcosm of time. We're living, it, it's out there in the future. But my friend, when you understand it properly and you really come to grips with it as a child of God, it helps define your entire life today. It helps bring it in perspective and it helps give you, uh, pri prioritize your life today when you live in light of that hope. This hope, uh, the Bible calls it uh, the blessed hope. You know, like the big hope, the ultimate hope, the blessed hope. In Titus 2.13, it says, We are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. You know, I, I, I misquote that sometimes, that we are looking for the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that. It says we are looking for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Boy, that's a whole theology right there. <laughs> His glory is so magnificent. It is so bright. It is so beautiful that... Before we even see him, we're just going to see glory all around. That's what's going to appear first, is this just unimaginable, magnificent, uh, splendid light of his glory. Do you have that hope? I mean, I'm just, as a friend, personally, I'm asking you, personally, do you have the hope that I'm describing and I'm talking about? Uh, full assurance of heaven. Because, my friend, you can. You can have that assurance, the confidence. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, um, <laughs> it's kind of like the one country preacher. He's in a small church, you know, like the old-fashioned wooden pews. And there wasn't, you know, it was a small congregation. And he was preaching kind of like I am, I guess. And he said, how many of you want to go to heaven? Just raise your hand. And, like, the whole church raised their hand. You know, it wasn't that many people, but they all raised their hand, except this one fellow right down front, right over here. This, I'm glad this spot is empty because I would be pointing right at somebody. <laughs> That's where they were. <laughs> and the guy, the preacher, you know, he was in the middle of a sermon, but he thought this guy obviously did not hear what I said because I know him and I know he's a believer. He said, if you would like to, you know, he repeated himself. If you would like to go to heaven, raise your hand. If you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. He did not raise his hand. He thought something's not right here. He just looked down at him. He said, Brother so-and-so, don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, Pastor, sure I do. But I thought you were getting up a crowd to go today. 
That's an old joke, okay? I'm sorry. That's the best I could do on short notice. Yeah, but do you have that assurance? Because my friends, God is real. He is your creator. And the Lord Jesus Christ is his son. The Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven. He was born in a little town called Bethlehem. And he, lived, he grew up and he lived a sinless and a perfect life. And then he died on a cross. And my friend, when the Lord Jesus Christ hung on that cross, he was paying for your sins and for my sins. And he, he took upon himself all of the punishment that you deserve for all of the wrongs and the evils and the sins and the mistakes of your life. He took God's righteous punishment that you deserved, he took it upon himself. He was your substitute. And then he rose again from the dead and he is alive today and he is the savior of the world. But my friend, the question is, is he your savior? Have you personally placed your faith and trust in him as your savior and your God and to receive his free gift of eternal life? I said free gift of eternal life. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. You simply receive it by faith, trusting in him, believing in him, and making him, making him your God and your Savior. It's the most important decision that you could ever make. So first and foremost, hope in, that endures is a future reality that gives you present strength. And the hope that we're talking about, the hope, the ultimate hope for a child of God, is the assurance that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and that he is coming again one day to receive us. And this is founded upon the, the promise of God's word. And the God who cannot lie. You believe what he says about yourself, about your future. But he adds more hope than that. If that wasn't enough, in his grace upon grace, I, I, he expounds upon this revelation. That wasn't the only hope that these uh, believers had. And, and he, he told them, and uh, notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, now um, 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at the end of chapter 2 here in just a second. 1 Thessalonians, one of the things as we're studying this epistle, this letter that Paul wrote to these believers, one of the things that I want you to learn is major theme here is the second coming of Christ. The hope that they had was in Christ's coming. And it is such a major theme. If you're interested in prophecy or Christ's coming, First and Second Thessalonians is one of the best places to start because they're so short and you can just read them and you can find right away these passages that refer and it's such a major theme in first thessalonians that every chapter mentions it there's only five chapters but every single chapter mentions christ's return now we've already read the one in chapter 1 verse 10 now we're going to read the one that appears in chapter 2 and um and for we'll begin in verse 17 notice what it says here this is paul writing to these these young believers, he says, but brothers, and that's brothers and sisters, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, it says here, in, um, not in heart, 
says, we endeavored more eagerly to see you, see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Now, what's going on here? Paul and his missionary team, Silas and Timothy, they had gone to Thessalonica to start this church, right? They spent just a few short months there before there was so much opposition and persecution that they had to flee for their lives, and they left this fledgling young congregation of of new believers. They had to leave them after just a few weeks or a few months of being with them. They had to flee. And so here Paul is beside himself wondering, how are they doing? What has the persecution been like? Are they holding it together? Are they enduring? And, and he was down in, you know, Corinth in Achaia, and he couldn't take it. He sent Silas and Timothy back to check on them. And, um, and, and he sent them to check on them. And so they spent some time. They came back with, to Paul with a report. Hey, do you know what? They're hanging in there. They're actually doing well. They're, they're holding it together. They're still believing in Jesus Christ. They're still hoping in his return. They're doing okay, Paul. And so Paul is like, wow, that just great brought a lot of comfort to his heart. And then notice what he says. He wanted to go see them, but he wasn't able to. But then in verse 19, it says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now, wait a minute. This is so interesting. We already said that his hope and their hope was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he adds something else. He says, you know what else is my hope and my joy? Is you. You. That when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, you will be right there with me. These are people that Paul loved and cared for and had discipled and won to the Lord. And um, he says it's you. You remember, um, you know, you think of um, all of the people that Paul had ministered to, that he had dedicated his life to. Paul's, what, what gave Paul hope? Because if the Thessalonians had suffered persecution, what kind of persecutions did Paul go through? What kind of dark times were there, were there in Paul's life when he said that he spent a day and a night in the ocean, bobbing around in the ocean? That he was beaten, that he was scourged, that he was um, uh, persecuted, that he was often cold, that he was often hungry. This is over the... This was his ministry. This was his ministry. Now, he's, he, blood, sweat, and tears were the essence of Paul's ministry in reaching people. You know, I, I, I've been in the ministry for a number of years now, okay? And yes, I have, um, I have shed tears for the cause of the gospel. I have cried for people and with people. I have, um, I have sweated. I have sweated for the cause of the gospel out under a hot sun evangelizing somewhere or, or preaching on the street. I, I have, you, have, you have shed tears. You have sweated for the cause of the gospel. Shed blood? 
shed blood for the cause of the gospel? I mean, I can think maybe twice. Like, and it wasn't anything. <laughs> it was like not even worth mentioning in the same breath. With the, maybe I fell on a sidewalk and skinned my knee out evangelizing. Maybe, you know, I can think of a time or two when I actually, you know, I got bit, you know, a little bit by a dog, you know, at someone's house evangelizing, you know, maybe once or twice. Paul shed his blood. He shed blood reaching people for Christ. And he said, you are my hope and crown. Yes, I'm looking forward to Christ's return. But you know what I want? I want you to be there too. That's what would give me great joy. And there's not a mother in this room that doesn't understand what Paul was talking about. There's not a parent in this room. And that's why you, you want to see your children saved. And that's why you pray for your children. And, and as children, you try to evangelize them. And, and then when they're older, you pray for them even more. And you hope to God, you hope in God that by his grace, he will so touch their hearts that they would know Jesus and follow Jesus. And as a parent, you care about that. And that's why, that's why we have a volunteer appreciation dinner. Because there are people all across this room that, I don't know about blood, but sweat and tears, you invest in, in being a small group leader in, with the young people or working in a life group or, or teaching a class or working with our Awana children. In some way, you are laboring for the cause of the gospel and because your hope, your joy is that people would come to Christ. That's why we have... Um, a trunk or treat. Why in the world would a Baptist church have trunk or treat right around Halloween? That just seems like sacrilegious or something, right? Do you know why we would do that? Because we know that if we, you know, have our trunk or treat, just a few weeks from now, literally thousands, over a thousand children will come onto our property. And they'll, they'll go around, and you know what they're going to see? They're going to see Christians who maybe look kind of goofy that day, but they're not really goofy. They just, just you know, it's trunk or treat, right? So you have to, anyway, you get the idea. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what our trunk's going to be. You have to come and find out, but it's going to be killer, okay? Not literally. <laughs> and they're going to receive a gospel track, and they're going to receive an encouragement, and they're going to see that these people love us. It's not a fundraiser. People, we have events all the time, and people think we're raising funds. <laughs> we're losing money, people. Three on three, all of those. Th Why do we do that? Be because we want those people to know, these people love me. Why do you love me? Because there is a God who loves you. And the God who loves you has placed his love in, in us, and we love you too. You know, you know what I want as a pastor? I want it to be hard to go to hell from Lake Hills. This little area we live in, I want it to be hard. I mean, you can get there from here, but I, want, I don't want it to be easy. And that's, that's on you and me. Paul, I mean, he wanted, apparently he wanted it hard to, be go to, hell, to go to hell from Thessalonica because blood, sweat, and tear. He put his life on the line. You know, uh, next Sunday we have a, some other guests with us next Sunday, and those are our global ministry partners, uh, BJ and Kathy Schultz. BJ and Kathy Schultz, um, 
Mo most of you probably don't know this, but I've known B.J. and Kathy, Kathy Schultz for over 20 years because about 20 years ago, they came. They were this young couple with these two little kids, two little young kids. They came to Guatemala for about five days. And the only reason they came to Guatemala for five days is they wanted to hang out with some missionaries because they were praying about what to do with their life. What, what were they going to make a career choice? What were they going to dedicate their lives to as they're starting out as this young couple? And they spent, they spent a week, and we showed them around the Guatemala. We showed them the churches. We tried to answer their questions. I mean, do you know this very well? There's nothing really special about us, right? So it wasn't anything to do with us. It was a work God was already doing in their lives. But all I know is that after those five days, they went back home, and about five months later, I'm reading notices and news that this young couple is going to Africa. And for the last 20 years, they've raised their family in Tanzania, Africa, which is not the best part of Africa, okay? Why would you do that? Why would a young person from Lake Hills Baptist Church say, here am I, send me? Why would you do that? Because of the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. And you know what, I don't know, this is, um, this may be heresy, what I'm about to say right now. I don't know, I don't think so, or I wouldn't say it. Heaven, what would make heaven better? That sounds heretical. Heaven is God. The Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing, it's, he's infinitely good and beautiful. What could be better than that? You can't add anything to it. I mean, the, the psalmist said, in God's presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You, you can't improve upon that. But wait a minute, what if you can? Paul said, my hope is that I will be with Jesus one day. But he said, you know what would make it even better? He said, that if you were there with me. My friends, my family, the people that I know, if somehow they could be there with me, that would make it even more joyful. I don't know. That's what he said. Now, I'll be honest with you. Right now, who do you know? Who do you know? a family member or a friend that does not know Christ? Who do you know? What if, what if you reached out to that person this week? What if you went over to their house? You said, hey, I want to come visit you. You went over to their house with the express purpose of just sitting down and talking to them about Jesus. Or maybe if they're not local, you pick up the phone and you call them. And you say, well, that might be awkward. You know what? I'll tell you how to make it unawkward really. Well, maybe not 100% unawkward. Uh, it may not be awkward at all. I mean, if you're close with them, then it shouldn't be awkward at all. And, and but uh, if it is the least little bit awkward, then all you have to do is say, hey, I, I just, hey, I want you to know I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. I love you. And I just, you know, just humor me because there's something that's really on my heart that I just, I really feel compelled to say to you. I mean, if you say that to someone that, that is your friend, they will listen to you. It doesn't really matter what it is. They will give you a hearing. 
and you just share the gospel. And, and then if you're like, if you feel like, oh, what do you do at the end? Because it's going to get awkward again. I got an answer for that. Too. I got answers for everything. No, I'm kidding. All you have to do is say, so I don't know. Thank you for listening to me. Um, I, I just really felt that I needed to share that with you. I just hope that you'll take it and consider it and think about it. And if there's anything ever more that I can say about it, I would love to talk about it another time. That's all you have to say, if, if, if that's all you can say, and that's enough. What, what is stopping you or I from doing that? Nothing. Nothing. Let's bow together for prayer.